let's just play Saints Come Marching In, guys. Let's play a fun, rousing Saints Come Marching oh, In. Oh, I might be able to actually... Oh, play on the harmonica. I don't know. I gotta... From Los Angeles, California, this is the Writer's Strike Chronicles, and I'm Tanya Barnes. Right lane. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Stay in the right lane. Yeah. Well, actually, actually do you, if you have a couple of minutes, I was going to go pick up some comics if you want to come with. Comics? Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's go. That's what I'm saying. Let's make it fun. Okay, yeah. let's make it fun. Yay. Okay, so um, we're going to do an in-the-car interview with Asterios. Can you say your last name? Co- uh, con- um, yeah, Asterios Coconuts. How you doing, Internet? <laughs> <laughs> now, um, Asterios and I have been on the picket lines all day today. To, uh, can you tell us what day we're at and why we're here? Uh, what is this, like, day 400? Like... <laughs> Like, well, it's Martin Luther King Day. It's Martin Luther... Yeah, it's, I mean, today's Martin Luther King Day, so, like, you know, today's sort of the... If you get the day off, you should probably pick it. <laughs> like, it's, it's like, uh, you know, out of all the days to kind of duck it, it's like, yeah, I probably should pick... You know, of course, it's easier for me to say because I don't have kids or, <laughs> yeah, a, right. or a job right now. Or a so. mortgage. Yeah, or a mortgage, exactly. Okay, so... I wanted to do an interview with you because I know there's a little story to tell, but we're going to lead up to that. But um, so we've been on the line all day, and uh, now we're just uh, we got in the car. He was going to give me a ride to my car, but now we're going to go for comic books, right? Yeah, is we're, that- we're going to go to the best comic book store in Los Angeles. Oh, what is that? It's called House of Secrets, and um, and it's 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 right in Burbank. It's owned by like this really nice dude who's got kids, and like it only employs like two other people. It's like um, it's about as mom and pop as you. Can get so I'll drive like an hour to get my comics from this place just because it's like these guys you know they're doing you know they kind of need the help but also it's a, it's a fantastic store it's like they got a great selection the staff there is really friendly and knowledgeable so I want to throw in a little plug for them while, while I can very good very good now do you know if the strike's affecting them you know what I'll bet you anything I'll bet you anything that the strike is affecting them positively <laughs> because <laughs> Because, like, because cause here's the thing. On Wednesday, Wednesday is New Comic Book Day across the country. That's when the new comics come out. Oh and God. at House of Secrets on Wednesday, about 70 television nerds. writers. Yeah, nerds, <laughs> a.k.a. television writers. <laughs> Flood in there, and like, and like, like you know, because it's close to Warner Brothers, it's close to Disney, to ABC. Okay. So like, everybody goes there on Wednesday. It's awesome. It's a really cool scene. Okay, you know, I did not realize how much comic books influence the entertainment industry. Can you comment on that? Sure. Um, I, you know, as, as nothing but like a lowly comic book fan, God, if you want to make money right now, you make a comic book movie, right? Right. Like that's kind of how it works. Isn't that what Kevin Smith's doing? Is Kevin Smith still making Green Hornet? Uh, I thought he was. I don't know. Oh, yeah. L- l- like I know Kevin Smith. There's a really great Kevin Smith story where he did the original draft of Superman. Oh. Did you hear about oh, that? Oh, yes, I did, actually. And with yeah, the giant yeah, metal yeah, spider, yeah. 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 
So, so you want to come with me inside the store and we'll, we'll do a little audio tour? Yeah, we'll do a little audio tour, but just real quick, I sure. guess. Um, so we'll wrap this up then, um, and then we'll cut to the comic book store. Sure. What I want to know is, what's the story? Um, and for everybody who doesn't know who Asterius is, he's the guy with the saxophone out on the picket lines. And apparently, he's quite famous for doing something, and uh, I don't want to like be a spoiler, so I'll let him tell the story. When the strike originally started, I was a researcher for a show called... Called Mad TV. It's a late night sketch show on Fox, and I'd worked there for four years, so I was kind of like a senior. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> um, you know, just having the time of my life as a researcher. My job was to facilitate parody. That's kind of a complicated way of describing something easy. Just for example, if Britney Spears crashed her car and it was caught on tape, and we wanted to make a sketch making fun of that, like Britney Spears' car crash adventures or whatever. It would be my job to get that footage to the director so he could shoot it like mm-hmm. the scene. Accurately. Ex- exactly. Yeah, yeah. Or actually, to put it a little bit better, if we were to make fun of Grey's Anatomy, I would get tapes of Grey's Anatomy to hair and makeup so they could make the characters look like the characters on Grey's Anatomy. So, um, to the director, to the editors, to sound, to everybody. It's my job to facilitate parody. So when the writers walked out, I would take my lunch break and just any breaks that came up during the day to go pick it with them at Hollywood Center Studios. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm familiar with that place. Yeah. Uh, which, where I, used to, I worked there for two or three years, actually, so I liked that studio a lot. Mm-hmm. And one day, I was driving to work, and I said, I'm going to pass by the picket line on the way just to honk and say hi to the writers. Mm-hmm. So my buddy ran out to the car who was on the line, who was a writer on the line, and said, Hey, Asterios, we're going to go pick at Mad TV. Mad TV is doing a live shoot, and we're going to go disrupt it. Do you want to come with? And of course, at this, yeah. So at this point, I'm sort of like faced with, with like a choice. I can either say, no, I'd rather hang on to my job, which in my mind would render all the picketing I'd done meaningless, you know, and empty. Because it's like if you can't back it up, what's the point? But if I were to go with them and picket the show and disrupt a show that I'd worked on for four years. Of course, I'd be fired. You know, I'm not in a union. Uh-huh. So I, I thought about it for a couple of seconds. And I told them, oh, sure, get in my car. And we drove down to the chute. And on the way, I, you know, I just turned to him and I'm like, I think I'm going to get fired in today because of this. And he goes, really? Do you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, I, I do. But, uh, you know, it's just, just, it was just so weird. It was like going in, which is like knowing that at the end of the day, I am not going to have any idea how I'm going to pay my bills. So it's like a three minute drive. But it was sort of like the longest drive of my life because I'm driving there and I'm going, oh my God, I'm about to lose my health insurance and I have medications that I need to pay for. How am I going to do this? Am I going to need to pay $90 for a prescription now? And I do. I do have to do that. I just had to do that the other day. I've had to do that a couple of times. Um, you know, I'm thinking to myself, like, I don't have a lot of money saved up. I I need to pay rent. Am I going to be able to go on unemployment if I do this? Like, because, you know, I'll be getting fired, but it's sort of a way where it's like I'm kind of putting myself out there. So all these calculations are going through my head, but I'm still like, I, I got to do this because, you know, otherwise... It, you know, what's the what's the point? Otherwise, like, why? It's like, do you really support the writers? Do you know what I mean? So, we get out there, and I pull out my saxophone. And as you mentioned, I play the saxophone, you know, just to make some noise. You know, so I went up to my bosses, the director and the producers, 
and they were like, Asterios, what are you doing here? And I was like, well, actually, I'm just, I want to be absolutely straight with you. I'm here to side with the Writers Guild. I'm here because I think that continuing to shoot right now during the strike is wrong. I mean, SNL's shuttered production. At the time, you know, Letterman and Ferguson and all shuttered. All these daily and weekly shows had shuttered. And for Mad TV not to do it in support of their writing staff, I just felt to be reprehensible. So I told them, I just want to be straight with you. I'm here to support the writers. I don't want later someone to say, oh, Asterius was there, but who, was he there because he's on the crew? Because, you know, I was on the crew. I usually don't go to shoots. I work in my office. I worked in my office. Um, so no ambiguity. You yeah, were taking a stand. Yeah, I just want just just so later, just so that they knew what was up, just cause, because I, I, so I was straight with them. So we shut down the shoot. 20 minutes later, I get a, a phone call. Yeah. So 20 minutes later, I get a phone call saying, you know, you're not welcome back at May TV. And what were you thinking? And I tell them that, you know, a couple of years from now, I hope to be writing in television. And when I do, I'm going to need that job to be there. And if the writer's going to lose a strike, those jobs aren't going to be there. And what you know i've wanted to be a comedy writer since i was like 11 so it's like so i you know i i just told them like those are my reasons i i have to support the art of writing because otherwise it's going to be gone and they were like that's ridiculous uh you know i can't we can't believe you did this blah 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 um and that was it oh what else well you told me that you got written up an alias Oh yeah, exactly. So my so one of my comedy writer friends from Mad TV knew a guy. He was a he was on the same strike as a guy who wrote for the LAist, and so he like published a story about it, which was which was cool. It, you know, originally I didn't want anyone to know about this. I didn't originally. I was like, I am going to keep this to myself. Were you ashamed? Oh no, I wasn't ashamed. I just didn't. I just didn't kind of want to distract from the issue. Do you know what I mean? Like, I felt that it was like a larger campaign. You know, um, it's not about, like, a guy who lost his job. It's about everyone losing their jobs. So I didn't want to publicize it. I wrote about it on my blog just to, like, tell my friends about it. Mm -hmm. Because I I had to get it out there. Mm -hmm. But the next day... This was on a Thursday that all this happened. And the next day was the Fox Pico Rally. Mm -hmm. And I went there, and all of these ex-Mad TV writers came up to me, and they were like, we heard what happened. Like, that's amazing. And I was like, how did they know about this? Uh, Patrick Verone's wife, who I, I was, you know, an assistant to at Mad TV, Maya Williams, was the first person. And she tapped me on the shoulder. She was like, Asterios, like, I can't believe that that happened. And I was like, how did you know about this? This happened like 11 hours ago. Apparently, like, it had just gotten, it just gone around in the phone chain. Like, the ex-showrunner called his assistant who called someone who called someone. By that time, the story was out. It was hot, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, well, I can't put, I, you know, I can't kind of put it away then. Like, I was kind of hoping I could just be a dude. Yeah, bury it. Yeah. Right. Because otherwise it's like, well, then why don't you want to talk about it? Are you ashamed? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? So at that point I was like, well, I, I, I guess if anyone asks, I will tell them. But I still don't, I, you know, I don't like to, I don't think, I don't think one time it's been like, hey, I'm, I'm serious. I'm that guy that, uh, that this thing happened to. Because that's sort of, 
Because you chose to have it happen. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's uh, I, that's actually a really good way of putting it. Because it was it was my call. You weren't a victim. You're a volunteer. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So just to wrap up the story on uh, Saturday. That Saturday, I got another phone call from the producer of the show, Scott Seitz. I was at Roscoe's House of Chicken and Waffles. And it was my it was the first time I'd ever gone to Roscoe's. I really Ooh, I love that place. It's fantastic. <laughs> Over the on Friday, I'd gotten a couple of calls from Mad, and I was just like, I'm not going to answer these calls. What are you going to do? Fire me twice? <laughs> like I don't need to hear a lecture. Yeah. So on Saturday, I get a call from his cell phone number, which is an eight one eight. From who? From Scott Seitz. Oh, okay, okay. I, I get a call from his cell phone, which is an 818 number. I see it's 818. I assume, oh, this must be a buddy of mine who lives in the valley. I pick it up, and he's like, hey, it's Scott Seitz. How are you doing? And I'm like, well, I'm doing all right. I'm just having dinner you know, at Roscoe's. He's like, oh, well, that's great. I'm just calling to tell you that you're officially not welcome back at Man TV. And I go, well, no, I understand that. I, I, yeah, I know that, but, but thank you for calling. So he goes into this lecture, and he he's... He's telling me that what I did was a really, I believe the language he used was, you really disappointed a lot of people here. One thing I don't think you realize is that the writers have already been paid for their material, but the actors haven't. So what you're really doing is hurting the cast. Ten minutes before I arrived at Roscoe's, I passed a cast member of TV in my car, which was an amazing coincidence. Okay. The cast member runs up to the car and tells me to roll down my window, and the cast member like gives me like a big inside the car hug and says, "I think what you what you did was really cool." I, I the word they used was, "It was nice that you had the balls to do that." Yeah. And so I was like, "Well, that's incredible. Thank you." Because I figured people would be mad at me. Yeah. So I tell this to Scott. I say, "Well, actually, I just passed a Mad TV cast member, and they told me that what I did was a good thing." And he goes, "Well, I can't believe that happened." It's like, are you calling me from your cell phone on a Saturday to just call me a liar? Like, yeah. what's happening here? So I figure if he's going to try to debate me on this, I might as well debate back. <laughs> so, because it's Saturday. I'm just trying to relax. Yeah. And I tell him... You just lost your job. I just lost my job. So I tell him, well, I think what you guys are doing is pretty reprehensible by not supporting the writers and continuing to shoot. So at that point, he tries to abruptly end the conversation. He goes, well, I got to go. And I go, no, wait. And he goes, no, I got to go. I got to go. And I go, Scott, you're calling me on your cell phone on a Saturday while I'm at lunch. You got to hear me out because this is ridiculous. And... You know, also, there were nights at Man TV where I slept in my office. Yeah. I worked there really hard. I pulled so many 24-hour days at that job over the course of four years. Like, you think it'd get easier. The job got harder every year. So it's like, does that mean anything? Can't you at least hear me out on this? So I, you know, I tell him that. I'm, I'm just, you know, I tell him, you have to hear me out. You're acting ridiculous. You can't just dodge this. You spoke. You got to hear my side. He goes, all right. And so I tell him, you know, what I think you're doing is awful. At Mad, Mad TV, they write 60 sketches a week. The, the writing staff writes 60 oh, scenes. A, That's a lot, right? No. I mean, sounds like a lot. I, you, you, know, you know, it's a lot. It's the, nature of the, it's the nature of a sketch show. They write 60 scenes a week, 30 go to table read, 10 get picked. Out of those 60 scenes, 
I'd say about half of them are topical, mm-hmm. but the other half are character-based. Mad TV had been running at that point for maybe seven weeks, which means that they had maybe 400 sketches that they could cull from, you know, that weren't topical that they could just do, that were just character-based, plot-based scenes. So I tell them, you're sitting on a pile of sketches you could conceivably keep shooting forever. Like, when are you going to shut down the show? When are you going to shut down the support of the writers? Because at this point, right now, Man TV could probably shoot about 100 episodes and not pay writers a single dime in a salary. Of course, they'd get residuals. But over 13 seasons, the 13 seasons that Man TV's been on, there's over 1,000 scenes they could do. So I told them, you know, you can't do that. That's terrible. It's also kind of terrible for the show that week after week, you're seeing all these sketches that have not been punched up. If there's one medium that needs, like, constant rewriting, it's sketch comedy. So I'm like, you're going to dilute the show's brand, but on top of that, what you're doing is really terrible in that you're not supporting the writing staff. So I tell him, you could conceivably shoot forever. And he goes, oh, no, I don't think we'll do that. Of course, they kept shooting for weeks and weeks and weeks without sketches, so they absolutely did. And, you know, I'm trying to tell him, I'm just trying to explain to him how it's just sort of the right thing to do to watch the back of your staff. On a sketch show, the writing is so important. It's so, it's like critically important. But, uh... Well, here's the thing yeah. I don't really understand. Is is the show a union show? Yeah, it's a Writer's Guild show, you know? He just wouldn't hear me out. He just wouldn't take it. And in the end, he goes, well, I wish you luck. And I, I told him, well, you know, I wish us luck, too. And ever since then, you know, I've been going down the lines. Uh, originally, it was every day. I've had to move back home. Um, which is back east, right? Yeah, which is back in New York. Because, you know, I'd gotten another job. This is actually funny. Three hours after I got fired, I got a phone call with another job. Oh, cool. Yeah. All right, you're good. Yeah, they hadn't even heard... My boss hadn't even heard anything. My boss, John Ennis, who directed the uh, Upright Citizens Brigade movie that will probably be coming out this year, he called me up and he was like, Hey, are you, are you looking for a job? And I was like, Actually, yes, I just got fired. And he was like, Great, well, you can start tonight. And so I went in, and I'd been working there for a while... <clears throat> I was working on a documentary that, you, you, you know, you know, it was a bit of a complicated political documentary, so it, it may not be the right time for it. So, yeah. But, but what, okay, so what I understand is how, if you've got a job, how are you taking a hit from um, being fired then? I mean, you're talking about $90 prescription meds and stuff like yeah. that. How are you taking a hit then now if you have a job? Well, the job doesn't give me insurance. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, I'm, an, I'm an assistant editor. Like, um, so... It's a non-union job? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it's a non-union assistant editor job, so, so I don't get benefits. No, nor do I expect them, because it's like a two-man company. It's just like me and my buddy, John Ennis. Yeah. But the political documentary we're working on, you know, it may, it may not get made, so I'm just living on Long Island with my parents painting houses, yeah. you know, until the strike ends and I can come back and hopefully get a job on a television show. Do you fear that, because of what happened to you at Mad TV, that you might be blacklisted? Do you ever worry about, you know, having taken a stand? To tell you the truth, no. If only because there's... Uh, I, this may not be a very interesting answer. But, like, television's so big that I don't know how you could possibly do that. Especially, like, a, especially like a crew member. I, I don't know. I doubt that, like, someone on some list decided to put my name down. Do you know what I mean? I just don't think it's a big enough deal. 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know enough either. I just. I do know. I do know. Yeah. Um, that this is a really small town, and the way I know this is by going to the picket lines every day. Yeah. And you start to see this. Like I thought. You know, I'd have a different interview with different people every day. And I'm getting to the point where I'm re- doing repeat interviews with people. I, yeah. Yeah. So I'm seeing the same faces every day now. But anyway, <laughs> is there anything you want, you have anything you want my listeners to know as we wrap this up? Anything like um, any misconceptions you, that people may have about the strike or about where you're at and uh, anything you want to clarify? You know what? I can't, I, I can't think of anything. All uh, I I guess I, I I mean I guess the last thing I guess the last thing I could say is everybody realizes how important this is within the strike. I don't know if aspiring writers understand that if the Writers Guild doesn't win this, they may not be able to make a living off writing. You know, I explain it to my friends who are comedians, and everybody gets it, but. I'm sort of one person, so there's only so many t- people I can tell that. Aspi- I, I just don't think aspiring writers get the idea that if the union gets broken, or if they accept a really bad deal, the only people that are going to be able to afford to be professional full-time writers in movies and television are people that have money to begin with. And I don't have money to begin with. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm living at home. Uh, most of the writers I know are very poor. So if the Writers Guild doesn't win this, writing is going to be a thing of the past. The ability that, the idea that you can go out to Hollywood, sell a screenplay, and live off that money until you write your next one and your next one, until you become, you know, famous, that's going to be a thing of the past. And that's going to be a shame. It's funny because I just feel like we're all kind of at a point where we can literally see the art of writing live or die, like right now. Like, it's amazing. It really comes. I, I honestly think it really comes down to that. Like at this point, writing can either live or die, and it depends on what we do. And I guess that's about it. My final question has to do with the ability to communicate. Sure. And my final question is: Which is the more powerful invention, the printing press or the internet? The printing press, because it allowed for the mass, it allowed for mass production of the Bible, and that's why Christianity is such a far-reaching influence. The internet's great. I know that the first thing they didn't print on the printing press was a guy showing his butt and and a dog (laughs) riding a skateboard. So, there you go. Like, um, you know, love it or love it or lump it, Bible's important. It's kind of shaped history. That's because of Gutenberg. So, good job, Gutenberg. All right. Thank you so much. And now, what's going to happen next? What are we doing right now? All right. Right now. We're gonna get, it's going to get a lot more fun. It's going to get a lot less somber. Because right now we're going to go to the best comic book store in Burbank. And then we're going to go to a very cool kind of indie clothing store. Ooh. And then we're going to go to that handmade brittle place. Ooh. And then finally, that's the inn where they shot Four Rooms. Oh my God, oh my that's God, a tour of downtown Burbank. Woohoo! Tour of downtown Burbank, let's do it. All right. That's your cell phone. Oh, yeah. Is that the Monty Python theme? Yeah. You dork. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, thank you. No, 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 no. Oh, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> Keep going. All right, going. sure. Hey, I wanted to give an audio tour of the best comic book store in Los Angeles. So do you mind if we do some recording in here? Not at all. Welcome to the House of Secrets. 
House yeah. of Secrets. It's not a secret anymore. It's going to be all over the internet. Oh, okay. All right. Let's see where. Okay, where are we going to start? Let's start. <laughs> you know what? Let's start with the comic books I need right now. Okay. So what do, you, what do you? What do you? Oh, you need. You I, need. I need comic books. Um, so I, I can. It's fair to say that you do not download or stream any new media right now during the strike. No. Uh, <laughs> reading comic books. Steal it? No, I'm not, <laughs> not doing any of that stuff. No, that's ridiculous. All right, Jeff Loeb writes for, I believe Jeff Loeb writes for Lost, and he's okay. doing Hulk now, which I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. What else do we have here? This, yeah, Jeff Loeb, this is a comp that was written by J. Michael Straczynski, mm-hmm. and he's the guy that created Babylon 5, which is one of Warner Brothers' biggest franchises. Mm-hmm. Who else is doing what? Oh, this is a comic called Uncanny X-Men. Mm-hmm. It's written by a guy named Brubaker, who's one of the top crime writers in the world. Comic, yeah, comic books have become like a really cool literary thing. Yeah, this is X Factor. It was written by Peter David. He's written hundreds of sci-fi novels, and he created the the sci-fi show for kids, Space Cases, on Nickelodeon. Television and comics just they they go together so closely. Now, let me ask you this: I've never understood why. Why do you think this genre, this type of writing, attracts so many nerds and geeks? Because we all want the ability to fly, I guess. Um, See, now, if I had a superpower, superpower I'd be invisible. Oh, see, well, that speaks to your character. You're shy. That's the thing. You want to turn invisible. I want to be able to stretch out or catch fire or whatever. No, actually, I think, um, I don't know if you ever... uh, Yo, yeah. I think as a a citizen journalist, it would be fun to just stick a mic up. (laughs) Wow, you... You, you've picked perhaps the cleanest possible use for invisibility powers. You're just like, I want to be able to tell more stories. Blah. Oh, good for you. Good for you for having morals. Oh, Ooh, Love and Rockets. Yes, that's oh, right. my God. Right on. Fantagraphic. All right. I actually am going to grab this. Sure. Um, oh, this is cool. Now, there's another cool thing that's happening in comics right now. This is Buffy the Vampire Slayer Season 8. Wow. Do you, do you get what I mean when I say Season 8? No. <laughs> Yes, no, yes, I do. No, I don't. (laughs) Buffy the Vampire Slayer as a series ended in season seven, all right? That's when the last episode was. But now they're doing a new season in comic book form. All these stories are like in continuity. They're written by the writers of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Like this. This is written by Joss Whedon himself. Check it out. There's his name. Okay. And Joss Whedon uh, is also. I, uh, yeah, here it is. He's also writing the new Angel season. This okay. is Angel season five or six or something like that. It's very cool stuff. Very cool. All right. So you know what? I'm going to let you poke around because I know you need to find your nourishment. You and better I'm going to save some tape for the next stage. Sure. Well, one of the best parts about comic book stores is that they sell ceramic statues of totally hot ladies. <laughs> and right now, I'm looking at like a totally hot Wonder Woman, totally hot White Queen. But the hottest of the hot, Slave Girl Princess Leia, 
like what is that like a foot wide and a foot tall yeah, it's how per- big is yeah. that that's gigantic I don't know why you need to own a gigantic Princess Leia but there you go but you know I'm kind of immune to her powers in the way that you are <laughs> you know that you are not exactly but, but I, I can tell you something about Carrie Fisher that's pretty amazing what do you in got? 1977 my dad and I went to the Star Wars and it was the most amazing film experience I'd ever had well my dad and I had a many amazing film experiences prior to that like going to see 2001 when I was 7 but the Star Wars one was pretty significant because um, after the movie my dad first of all my dad were, were separated we got in line and then we had to sit in different seats what? because it was so fucking crowded wow <laughs> And we got back out together afterwards, and I was so thrilled that I found out Carrie Fisher's e- uh, email. <laughs> I found out who Carrie Fisher's agent was, and I wrote her a fan letter, and I still remember the, uh, the paper I used. And I don't know what I wrote, but later that summer, I got a big manila envelope in the mail, and it said, To Tanya Barnes, my address, Earth. <laughs> you got it from Alderaan. That's fantastic. And that was the best part because I was like, Earth. And I look up at the return address and it said El Organa Alderon. Yes. And you know what my first thought was? Is like, how can this be? Alderon's gone. Exactly. Alderon was destroyed. It's made an example out of him. So I open it up and it says for Tanya. And the most significant thing is she spelled my name correctly. Yeah, yeah. With a J. With a J. And it said, May the Force be with you. Now but, that's fantastic. You got. You got a letter from the head of the Rebel Alliance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so now, um, and even after that, for the subsequent episodes of Star Wars, I still was on her mailing list. She would still send me autograph photos. Oh, well, see, that's it. Without even having to write a fan letter. She yeah. just followed up. Yeah, you tell you, Carrie Fisher, class act all the way. There you go. That's a great story. <laughs> so thank you, Carrie Fisher. And thank you, Carrie Fisher, for different reasons. <laughs> All right, let's go. Okay. See you later, man. Thank you. Have a good day. And where are we going now? Uh, now we're going to go to this place called Hyena, which is sort of like an indie kind of low art store where punks hang out. Punks. Yeah. Rebels. Right? Yeah, exactly. Like us. Punks and rebels. <laughs> it's called Hyena. It's at 1928 Olive. Hi. How you doing? Hey, do you mind if we do a quick story on this place? Audio. Oh, Oh, for uh, she runs a strike podcast where where writers go strikers. Oh, really? Yeah, and we're kind of going around because this place obviously you guys got a lot of people to work at the studios and things like that. So it's kind of giving like an audio tour of cool Burbank businesses. Okay. Do you need me to talk? Well, yeah. You want to talk? Who are you? And what's your store about? I don't like talking. <laughs> oh, you don't like talking. Okay. Well, who is this guy? Do you know? What's your name again, sir? We've I'm met. Bill. Bill Asterios. Okay. So why did you drag me here? Well, f- first off, the reason I dragged you here is because this song rules. This is uh, Pablo Picasso, right? Yes, my mom's. <laughs> yeah, this is the Modern Lovers. This is Pablo Picasso from the soundtrack to Repo Man. Yeah. Yeah. So th- if that doesn't establish the place's punk credibility, nothing will. <laughs> These sell incredibly well, right? These, what is it? This? What are we looking at? It's some of the craziest things I've ever seen. Could you describe these pictures? Uh, they're vintage prints from Art Fromm. He's a pin-up artist from the 50s. Uh, it's women in distress. Uh, women <laughs> holding bags of groceries with celery in them and losing their panties in public while being leered at by creepy old men. Is this for real? Absolutely for real. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, like for, for example, right now we're looking at a picture called Spare, and it's of a <laughs> it's of an attractive blonde girl 
she's throwing a ball down a, down the bowling lane, but her panties have completely fallen down around her bowling shoes. And then there's a guy behind her who's looking and he's like, oh, this is great. Now, as a one-time thing, it's like, oh, what an interesting, evocative image. <laughs> but right next to it is an attractive blonde girl in a pink dress holding groceries in an elevator and her panties have fallen down. And right next to her is an elevator man being like, hey, check this out. And then over there, there's a girl with groceries on the bus, and the bus driver's like, oh, her panties have fallen. And right over there, there's another girl holding groceries, and the construction worker's like, oh, look at that, her panties have fallen completely down. He, how many of these has he made? Um, I, I have seven here in the series, but I, I know there's at least five more that I've seen. Uh, he, so he's made 12 individual paintings of yeah. women whose panties have fallen down and men leer, leering at them. He paints himself and his father leering at them. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> you're kidding, right? Yeah. No, no, absolutely. The, the <laughs> cop and the bowler are, are his father. All the other men are him. Oh, that's so funny. What do you think that says about the artist? Uh, I think it's kind of... I don't know, maybe like when he was younger, something struck him and it stayed with him for his whole life and became a fetish. Yeah, probably. But, but he was a really successful uh, commercial artist. He worked for Coca-Cola oh, okay. in the 50s. He did the famous like Norman Rockwell Santa holding the Coke. Okay. And this is his backroom stuff that like, totally must have tripped people out back then. It's hysterical. Um, so I'm doing a, a daily uh, podcast about the writer's strike. And actually, I'm curious to know... Um, there's all this talk about how the strike is affecting small businesses. Has the strike affected you in any oh, way? Definitely. How? Definitely. Just uh, business decreases. When people aren't working, people aren't shopping. Yeah. You know, but uh, it affects a lot of the artists I work with. Yeah. Because most of them are storyboard artists, yeah. and if there's no writers, there's no storyboards to be drawn. So it's really, it branches out so far from there. Where do you come down on it? Are you When you look at the, the news story of the writer strike, how do you... How does it make you feel as a business person and then as a just an individual? Um, you know, that, that's a really complex question, but on the very basic level, it doesn't seem like it's an impossible matter to settle, settle if people are just reasonable. Like, it, it's adapting to the new technology in the same way they've adapted to everything in the past. It just seems like uh, the larger entities are refusing to do that. And it's just nonsense. happened with music and internet downloading yeah. when it first happened. Yeah. It's the same story. So I came from the music business. I did uh, 16 years running a chain of five music stores, and it was the same thing when downloading started. You know, just the larger corporations refusing to adapt to the technology in a logical manner. And they got burned by it. They absolutely did. Yeah, but then in the music industry, artists started to do it for themselves. Exactly, and that's how they got burned because they weren't in control anymore. They could make the money on their own on iTunes. It, it for, showed the musical artists uh, just how powerful they were, and how they could build up a fan base. You know, it's a little different with writers because they, I think they they need the whole studio set up at this point, the backing of it at least. Yeah, I mean, if but, you're a musician, you can make the yeah. song in your you know, apartment. But, I mean, there's definitely people doing stuff on their own now, and that's you're just going to see more of that. And I like that. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, I don't 
You have been listening to the Rider Strike Chronicle podcast, available for free through iTunes. For more information, visit us at www.strikechronicles.com. To contact us, please call 310-439-8754 or send us an email at info at strikechronicles.com. Yeah. I've been doing improv together for like he four can, years. I had no idea you could play the harmonica. I can't play the harmonica. It's sounded good to me. It's sounded good to me, Chief. There you go, man. I just read the thing. It said, blow here and suck there. I was oh, like, all you right. did a good job. Did you do Rockford Files? <laughs> oh, yeah. We just oh, did that earlier. We did. Never mind. No, we'll do it again. Right. We'll get it on tape. I never did it on harmonica before.